We hear a lot of talk about blockchain in healthcare, and for good reason. While blockchain may not solve all of the healthcare industry's issues, it has the potential to revolutionize many aspects of the industry. Hello and welcome to Finamics High Five Podcast, our take on specific healthcare industry topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm Mindy McGrath, and I'm joined by my colleagues, co-hosts, and fellow healthcare industry enthusiasts, Ryan Hummel. Hi, everybody. And Mike Catone. Hey, team. And joining us today is one of our fellow colleagues and guest, Sam Farmer. She's Finamics blockchain resident expert. She's worked in blockchain since 2014 across an impressive number of industries, 13 to be exact, and most recently in the life sciences space. So Sam, thanks for joining us. I'm so excited to be here. In today's episode, we're chatting about blockchain and how healthcare leaders can tackle the possibilities that this technology solution represents. We'll also break down the evolving role of blockchain in the market and how healthcare organizations consider the impact and the opportunities within their organization. And as always, stay tuned for the end of the show's parting thought. It's that thing that we've either read, heard, or seen that we'd like to share with you. Security, trust, traceability, control. These are all the promises of the potential of blockchain, a technology that has received uh, a considerable amount of attention, obviously, in the healthcare industry, because when you think about some of the major challenges in the healthcare industry, those descriptors apply very relevantly across the industry sectors. And so, as a result, we have seen a considerable amount of hype around blockchain. And I think part of our discussion today, right, is that there are a lot of challenges facing this industry. And when we start to talk about emerging technologies and blockchain specifically, I'm really interested in hearing from from the team around how do you dispel what blockchain really is, what it's not, how it applies to some of the opportunities and the issues within the healthcare industry, and how it actually becomes real um, to what is going on not only today, but laying the roadwork for what needs to happen in the healthcare industry of the future, especially around things like cost containment, care coordination, care management, those types of things. What makes it so intriguing to so many healthcare leaders? Of course. So I think um, when I think about blockchain, I, I typically divide it into the sets of features and then the value proposition that's delivered by blockchain itself. So when I'm thinking about the features of blockchain that make it really valuable, Blockchain at its core is just an enabling technology. So think of it as an analog to a database or a spreadsheet, but with better features that enable additional value propositions. So the features of blockchain that really drive home value are the fact that it's distributed. So every single person participating in the network is maintaining a copy of the data that the network is is storing. Consensus. So the network actually agrees on the validity of the changes to the ledger in a way such that um, there can never be something that's out of sync. Um, there's no need for reconciliation. There's no disagreement because, in fact, before a transaction is even recorded, everyone agrees on its validity. The next piece is that it's immutable. So compared to a spreadsheet where you can go back and edit a cell in a spreadsheet to change the, the data that's held within, in blockchain, all you can do is add another record, which means that they call it append only. Um, and that means that you have this long traceable history of everything that's happened. So you can track things like chain of custody. And then finally, a feature of blockchain that gets people really excited is smart contracts. 
So this enables you to automate actions based on certain conditions being met within the transactions that are recorded to the blockchain ledger. So think of it similar to um, in other business processes, folks are looking at robotic process automation as a way to really add efficiency to back office processes. It's sort of the same thing in blockchain. So then that all leads you back to the value propositions and some of those words that you had started out with, Mindy, that it's really transparent. Folks are able to break down the data silos. At the same time, it's really secure. So everything that's recorded on the blockchain is encrypted in a way that only those with the appropriate private and public key to access that information can see the material of what's recorded there. Um, and finally, it's just really efficient. We're going to need a glossary from all these words <laughs> that Sam is using, by the way. We are, but in, I think buried within sort of the complexity of the terminology, at its core, the thing that's really interesting to me is like the defining characteristic of the the data distribution that's inherent within blockchain and that there's not a central authority that communicates updates to the records that these updates happen to all of the records and without I, I think that's a really interesting and fascinating new piece of technology and I'm really curious how organizations are going to adapt to it uh, you don't have the type of control over data that you may have once thought where you are the only one who has access to it and you sort of need to verify each transaction because it is shared across many different distribution points. That control is not there. And I think that's going to be a really interesting, not necessarily hurdle, but consideration for organizations that are looking to adopt blockchain. But don't you think it plays into what we're seeing in the healthcare market right now, anyhow, where we're seeing a lot of focus, right, on collaboration of care. And you could take the word collaboration and apply it to other aspects of the healthcare industry and some of the practices that are being adopted. I mean, to me, when you really think about what is important in the healthcare industry, it comes back to what are the jobs that need to get done as an industry, right? It's, it's ultimately about delivering the right care to the right person at the right time. And so when you think about what needs to change in the industry to make that possible, achievable, sustainable, a lot of it comes back to process, it comes back to technology, it comes back to organizational structures and things like that. So I always like to frame any topic that we're talking about, especially something as, as um, intriguing as blockchain, in the context of what's the work that needs to get done in this industry? And if it's those three things that we just discussed, then how does blockchain help enable that? I think there are so many problems and opportunities, especially in the provider setting, that I feel are universal. And when you, when Mindy uses the term security, trust, traceability, and control, by the way, that could be a great commercial for blockchain, a good tagline. But I think the first thing I think about is medical history, right? And, and we know that that's been an issue that many health systems, many health plans, many life science firms have really struggled with over the years because um, whether it is an employee leaving a company and going to another employee or just the fact that this history is spread across these sectors, um, I feel like what you're telling me or what you have been telling me is that blockchain has an opportunity to enable us to get to a point where we are able to manage the patient as a whole and, and blockchain may be able to enable that? Absolutely, Ryan. So, I think the, the patient experience component is, is huge in a potential area for blockchain to be applied. As you alluded to, especially in the fragmented U.S. healthcare market, 
pieces of a patient's medical history exist all over the place with each doctor they visited with uh, previous health insurance plans that they've had. And you can kind of think of it like a quilt where they've got all these different quilt squares all over the place, but they're not actually assembled together into the big picture. And so the thought is that you could create a blockchain solution, which takes a blockchain to record the locations of all of these pieces of information and stitch it together into the longitudinal picture of patient history. And the idea is that you'd put the patient in the driver's seat there. And so you hand them the keys to their history and give them the ability to share it with the doctors, providers, payers, life sciences that they choose. And once you have this foundation of this longitudinal patient history, there's so many additional things that you can build on top of it. So think about recruiting for clinical trials or incentivizing patients to share genetic data to help support clinical research. Once you have the data all there and stitched together, the opportunities are endless on how you can apply it. Um, so in addition to these things that you can build on top of a patient medical history, we also think about things like how you can use blockchain to help drive the operations um, within all the different clients in the uh, interwoven healthcare sectors. So things that come to mind are like claims adjudication and prior authorization. These are activities that require the cooperation across uh, a health insurance company, a provider, a, um, a pharmaceutical company. And typically, they all have different pieces of data, and there's a lot of back and forth, there's reconciliation, and it takes a lot of time to actually get these things done. And in the case of prior authorization, this time is time that patients aren't getting the treatment that they need. So the idea is we can bring folks together onto a shared network where we can execute some of these things much faster than we are today in a way that's much cheaper. So healthcare becomes cheaper, and patients are getting access to the care that they need faster. Other things that come up are things like the supply chain. So the Drug Supply Chain Security Act implemented by the FDA is requiring enhanced traceability of pharmaceutical products through the supply chain. The dilemma is that in order to do that, there's so many different pharmaceutical companies, wholesalers, distributors, pharmacies down at, at you know, the patient-facing um, level that it's really difficult for folks to go ahead and find a solution that everyone can work on in order to meet these requirements. And as it turns out, the features of blockchain make it a perfect fit for what, what the, the government is looking for. Yeah, and another one, as you were talking about this, Sam, that comes to mind immediately, right, is value-based or value-driven contracting. I mean, we're seeing a lot of it play itself out in the industry right now. And you think about how different value-based contracting is that from traditional fee-for-service or capitated models, I could see how blockchain has really broad applicability to this contracting process because of the variety of what we're seeing. Of course. If you think about value-based contracting, both in the medical space as well as in the pharmaceutical space, what we're doing is changing the amount of reimbursement that's provided depending on medical or financial outcomes. The dilemma is that the data that's required in order to adjudicate these types of value-based contracts becomes much more broad. So as a pharmaceutical company, I don't have access actually to patients' medical data. And so for me to enter into an outcomes-based contract, I kind of have to operate in good faith that the health insurance company is being honest about the outcomes that their patient population is having. Instead, if you look at a blockchain solution, we could be sharing the necessary data, aggregated, anonymized in the way that's necessary in order to actually serve the needs um, and I think the interesting thing specifically with value-based contracts is 
when you talk to pharmaceutical companies about why they're not adopting them, they come back with things like the cost to us to actually adjudicate these types of contracts is so high that it cancels out any potential savings that we might get. Um, while we're talking about kind of the operational hurdles that a lot of these firms and a lot of our clients are experiencing, one of the other ones that I think about is provider credentialing or credentialing as a, as a practice. It is, you know, the headache of many leadership um, it sure is. <laughs> across, across the hospital health system and health plan world. So sounds like there could be some enablement from blockchain in that world as well, Sam, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, Ryan. So I think in the world of provider credentialing, um, as it stands today, you've got huge teams of people working at each hospital to confirm the educational history of the providers they have on hand and validate their credentials. In an alternative model, you could have all of these credentials recorded to a blockchain, which we know from its features, it's immutable. Sam, can we just take a break and talk about the definition of immutable for some of us that of course. don't get it? <laughs> Sorry, Mindy. So when I'm talking about immutable, what I mean is that once a transaction gets recorded to the blockchain, it can never be changed or removed. And so this gives us a history of everything that's ever happened since the blockchain was first established. And so when you think about situations like provider credentialing, where you want to know things like their graduation from medical school, their enrollment in a residency, their enrollment in a fellowship, and, pr and other related um, features of an individual provider, if you're recording this information to a blockchain, it's there forever. And so instead of having this process where um, it's likely that in, in the current pr credentialing process, folks are reworking the same verifications that other hospitals and people have done, if you have this shared utility, which is a blockchain containing provider credentials, you can add immense efficiency to the process. Because you're just starting from the next net new. It's not looking at a historical context. It's just starting because that's already been done, right? It's already added to the blockchain. So you're just moving yeah, all forward. You're, all you're doing is referencing the blockchain saying, yep, this checks out. Mindy McGrath is who she says she is. I see such great applicability there. I just we could talk about this all the whole time because there are so many opportunities. Or, or clinicians in general, they moonlight. They work in other areas, and so the amount of energy, time, and money it takes not just for their primary job to credential them, but when they're doing other work, they, they have to go through that entire process all over again. So I mean, just that little piece, I'm sure, what's the appetite? of leaders at a hospital or a, or a healthcare system. Now, I know everybody sounds like they're very into the immutability of blockchain. Uh, it actually made me think of something that could be a hurdle in the future. When the EU passed the general data protection regulation earlier this year, they actually included a right to be forgotten. And how we were how we're going to have to wrangle with that uh, with an immutable uh, record is a really interesting use case. You would say that the, the blockchain has potential to store records and provide benefits, like increasing the time to provider credentialing and sort of reducing the need for intermediaries to be involved in that. But if things that are put on the blockchain are there forever, how, how can you be forgotten? How can that information about you uh, be erased? I think that's a really interesting challenge that I'm not sure uh, we're necessarily qualified to answer today, but they will have to answer it in the future. You know, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up, Mike. 
So a, a big movement that comes along with blockchain is the idea of self-sovereignty, which is another big, scary word. Um, For me, at but, least. <laughs> but it basically <laughs> means the right to own your own information. And so having the ability to decide who your information gets shared with and how it's used, I think could help to allay some of the concerns about the right to be forgotten. Because ultimately, even if the data is there, it's fully encrypted. And I can say, I'm not sharing this with anyone which I, I would argue is tantamount to being forgotten. So it's the equivalent of like an opt-in, opt-out. You can, you can opt-out. It's just a matter of saying I'm not going to share my data. Exactly. So, Sam, we, we've just kind of mentioned some micro-level operational components where blockchain may be enabled, enable health systems to succeed. Um, if I can take it back to the idea of medical records and horizontally across like the ecosphere, I just made up that word. That's, there's no word. <laughs> that's okay. We um, have it today. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a big hurdle for health systems as well, is the idea of interoperability. And we've talked about that a lot at this podcast around the fact that across health systems, um, that the idea of EMR or EHR interoperability is just a real big issue to maintaining the health of the patients and getting the right information. And the fact is, there's a lot of redundancy there as well within health systems, getting medical history, all sorts of really important data that will enable physicians, clinicians to treat patients more uh, efficiently and effectively, not just in their health system, but outside. So can we talk a little bit about how interoperability um, hurdles can be overcome with blockchain? Yeah. So I think, you know, it's interesting that you bring this up, Ryan. I saw that recently CMS changed uh, the term meaningful use to actually promoting interoperability, which really drives home the point that we're talking about here. Um, in reality, when we look at the opportunity that blockchain presents across the five interwoven healthcare sectors, we need to acknowledge that it requires um, what I like to call coopetition amongst the different players. So, this is really about getting folks who wouldn't normally work together into the same sandbox and playing nice together. Um, whereas as it stands now, I think people uh, have a lot of pride of ownership over their own silos of data. And so it requires a bit of a mindset shift um, and an openness to sharing uh, for the greater good. So Sam, I love the word coopetition because I think it really challenges healthcare organizations to stretch their comfort zone uh, when it comes to thinking about this type of technology and how this type of technology not only impacts their business, but advances the healthcare system as a whole. So I want to pivot a little bit and just talk about the fact that, you know, healthcare enterprises, if I'm a healthcare leader today and I'm thinking about all of this emerging technology, and obviously blockchain is probably at the top of the list just because it's received so much attention, and I'm sorting through the upside potential there are also got to be some challenges around blockchain. So what am I considering if I'm a healthcare leader, I'm thinking about the adoption of blockchain? Well, Mindy, I think the important thing to understand is blockchain is not a panacea. It's not going to fix a, a business problem that is rooted in a process challenge or a leadership challenge or a personnel challenge. And throwing blockchain at a solution isn't necessarily going to automatically improve your results. You also have to think about things like, are you willing to undertake a transformation effort that addresses process design or organizational change to actually understand, are you going to make a positive business impact if you implement blockchain? 
There's also a big question around cost of entry. We don't really have a great understanding of what the cost of a blockchain solution looks like in a production environment. And when you think about participation, are you going to have to require all of the individuals and groups and organizations that you interact with to also adopt a blockchain solution? Are you going to have to build intermediary solutions that transfer information between a blockchain-enabled solution and a traditional data storage and data management solution? And from a competition standpoint, how, like, like you said, the competition, how does the balance of competition and cooperation evolve over time, especially when people are trying to capitalize uh, and really monetize this technology? That's the part that I have a conflict. It's conflicting to me, right? So the motivation aspect of this, which is if I'm um, a healthcare leader and obviously I'm in a very competitive market space, what's the incentive for me as an organization to want to cooperate with uh, competitor A that might be, you know, right down the street? Is it, I'm, you know, is it, I focus more on going cross-sector or is there upside opportunity for being able to cooperate with another life sciences organization if I'm on life sciences or health plan versus health plan? I mean, that's the piece to me that I think is really, really going to be difficult for organizations to shift their mindset. Yeah, that chicken or egg concept is a really interesting one. The other thing I was thinking about as well, if I continue to put on kind of my patient experience or, or healthcare leader hat, is the idea of urgency in healthcare, right? I think that whether you talked a little bit about prior authorizations earlier, Sam, I, a lot of times, you know, if a patient comes in and in order for them to be treated, whether it's an MRI or a scan, prior authorization needs to happen very quickly. So there needs to be a real trust there that that blockchain will make that more efficient or as efficient or more effective than it was before. And also, you know, some emergency room or, or point of care urgency also. So I think one fear from my very little understanding of blockchain is that there's no central point of failure. So, you know, how do we allay those concerns uh, around that? Because I think people have a traditional mindset around oh, I, ha I have at least a little bit of information on this, and that's just enough for me to, s to make sure this patient succeeds, I guess. Like owning more is better than owning none. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I think it's really scary not to have a central point of failure. You always want to have a place to place the blame when things go wrong. But the reality is that with blockchain, by not having a central point of failure, it makes you immune to some of the issues that providers are facing today. So you see in the news headlines that um, providers are becoming infected with ransomware, which is locking up their medical records and all of their systems and, and really grinding things to a halt within their settings until they can get things resolved. If you think about the blockchain network and the fact that the data is distributed, you have so many backup copies of data accessible to you that infecting one copy with ransomware leaves the rest of them still fine, and it keeps you up and running. So it's kind of a mindset shift. Yes. It's scary yeah. to not have a central point of failure, but it also is, is protecting you in a way. Right. That's a lot to think about if you're a healthcare organization and thinking about blockchain and how it fits into what some of your initiatives are. Gosh. Uh, we certainly could talk about this for hours, which actually, Sam, we usually do, right? <laughs> um, but it is time to wrap up this part of the episode. In summary, what I basically heard from, from everyone is that while blockchain is an emerging technology, it's one of the hottest topics in the healthcare market. It does not come without its own set of challenges and really some thoughtful, not only understanding, but um, 
strategic planning around how you're going to adopt it and incorporate it either into your organization or across a broader set of partners. So I do want to take us into the parting thought, but before we do, Sam, thank you so much for joining us today. I love your insight into this really interesting, hot topic. Um, I love the perspective that you bring, and we certainly want to have you back on the show for future episodes related to emerging technologies. Thanks so much. All right, so on to our parting thought. Uh, Katone, do you want to take us away? Sure. So in addition to recording podcasts, I enjoy listening to podcasts. And a recent episode of NPR's Hidden Brain that I listened to called Check Yourself uh, was all around uh, checklists and sort of their power to help improve processes. And it's really it was really interesting to me because we're talking about this technology solution, blockchain, during this episode. And like I had said previously, you can't just throw a technology solution at a problem and expect it to go away completely. And this episode was really just all about checklists around how from the the army and um, pilots sort of were the forebearers and standard bearers of checklists. And they use it to help prevent plane crashes all the way to surgical rooms to help reduce catheter infections. That's such a simple thing like following a checklist and adhering to a checklist could solve these problems that we may come up with a thousand different apps or blockchain enabled technologies to try and solve these issues. But at the core root of things, it's actually something a lot more simple than that. And it's just interesting to me to think how we manage the intersection of complexity and simplicity when we're trying to solve problems. That's a good one. Um, I am going to stick with technology as well. I'm going to talk more about some of the emerging technology that we are seeing some of our government agencies adopt. So I almost um, fell over. I know, I know right? Uh, we all know agencies have been a little bit slower on the adoption cycle when it has come to technology. Uh, healthcare data or Health Data Palooza, which is one of um, my favorite conferences that goes on yearly, uh, actually invited FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb to come and be their keynote speaker. And he talked a lot about his bullish nature around the adoption of technology within the FDA to really help not only streamline the agency's efforts around things like drug approval processes, but really advance the agency into what he calls the modern medicine era. Uh, he talked about the fact that they are adopting things like artificial or augmented intelligence to really help drive some more effectiveness within the FDA's decision-making and within some of the core processes within the FDA. Uh, it was really just a refreshing keynote speech. Uh, you can find it out on YouTube. Uh, and I, I think Gottlieb has a really you know modern mindset on how the FDA has to really um, reorient itself to what is going on in the healthcare industry outside of just life sciences. And he looks at technology as one of the, the main ways that they can get there relatively quickly without having to do too much around the rest of the organization. So for my parting thought, I'm going to keep us around technology and that idea, but talk a little bit about uh, a study I read around artificial intelligence and its possible uh, capabilities around Alzheimer's disease. Uh, so I think it's common knowledge that early diagnosis of Alzheimer's actually leads to better patient outcomes, uh, more cost-effective treatments, and, you know, is something that we have struggled with in the healthcare world for a while now. Uh, there was a study done by the University of California in San Francisco that 
did a AI algorithm over um, a period of time just this past year, and they just released a study that showed that the AI algorithm helped diagnose Alzheimer, uh, Alzheimer's patients six years ahead of traditional diagnoses. That's which incredible. is incredible. And, you know, not just from a patient and a patient's family aspect, does that look like promising news? But just, you know, we talk a little bit about how much some of these diseases cost um, our country and cost our patients. Um, it, there is a estimate that says that if we're able to kind of matriculate this into a larger um, opportunity, it's something like $5.7 trillion in savings. So anyway, uh, more to come on that. And you can find that that information on Science Daily Digest. There's a lot of news cycles that picked up this story as well. It's a fascinating article. Absolutely. So this concludes today's High Five podcast, and we want to hear from you about today's episode or other topics that may be on your mind. Please feel free to reach out to us at 888-FINAMIC and share your message. And for additional conversation about the work that we are doing in the healthcare industry or a deeper follow-up on how Vynamic might assist you with your business initiatives, we'd love to hear from you. And until the next cast, have a great day.